Do you seek the freedom to pursue greater meaning and purpose in your life? Is there something that you're passionate about that you'd like to support by giving time, talent, or money? Do you seek a level of financial freedom to live an ideal life as you uniquely define it? Welcome to the Money and Meaning Show with Jeff Bernier, a show dedicated to helping you gain the confidence and freedom to lead a life of personal significance and help you get your actions and resources in alignment with what matters most. Hello and welcome to the Money and Meaning Show. I am so pleased you decided to spend a few minutes with us today. Uh, my name is Jeff Bernier. I am your guide and host as we continue our conversations around money and meaning. And as you know, this show is really all about helping you and encouraging you to, to uh, get some clarity around what matters. How do you create the, the clarity about what matters what gives your life purpose and meaning. And then we combine that with wealth management, which is what I what I do in my day job. Um, and so we try to combine uh, how do we create the clarity, the confidence, and the financial freedom to go pursue our vision uh, of a meaningful life or your vision of a meaningful life. Uh, as you also know, um, some of these concepts I put in a book recently called The Money and Meaning Journey, A Guide to Clarity, financial confidence and joy. Um, and in that book, uh, you know, I use a lot of Joseph Campbell's hero's journey metaphor, you know, in all great or a lot of great literature and movies and television shows, there's a pattern uh, that's called the hero's journey. And one of the really important aspects of most movies and literature that Joseph Campbell uncovered and through myths through time, this is not a new idea. One of the steps in the hero's journey is they find a guide. So I'm hoping that the book and this podcast and our guest today can can help be your guide uh, to helping you flesh out uh, what gives you meaning and purpose. And again, as I have guests on and we talk about wealth management, how do we create the financial margin to go pursue it? So I'm really, really excited about our guest today. I've uh, joining us today is my friend, Alan Hunt, Dr. Alan Hunt. Uh, so let me give him a proper introduction and I'll get him on here and we'll get rolling. But, you know, Alan's been a busy guy since I lost, um, I last saw him. It's been a few years, but he is a four-time number one best-selling author. Uh, he collaborated with Matthew Kelly recently to, re, uh, to write No Regrets, a fable about living your fourth quarter intentionally. Uh, you know, I speak a lot about the second act, uh, they're 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 using the fourth quarter metaphor, and, and in Alan's book, he 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 talks about things that we want to be paying attention to in the fourth quarter, and really, in no regrets, you know, Alan and Matthew share uh, the powerful secrets of five keys to living and dying with no regrets. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today, um, and it led them actually to to create another book called The Fourth Quarter of Life, Embracing What Matters Most. So you can understand why I'm so attracted to this material. But Alan's been really active uh, in sharing these messages. He's become known as the fourth quarter guy. Uh, I, I will talk more about his background in a moment. But Alan, thanks for joining us on The Money and Meaning Show. Jeff, it is great to see you, and it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, th th thanks again for joining us. Um, you know, um, the audience is, is well aware 
of of what attracted me to your messaging because again it 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 really uh speaks to what I've been trying to write and talk about at a very surface level in some respects uh as we try to help our clients get clear on what matters um so again uh delighted to have you here and as I always do I'd love for you just to kind of give the audience a little bit about uh Alan and your family and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and and, and what you do. Well, I, I grew up in a little town in the mountains called Brevard, North Carolina, and uh, went to school at Mercer in Macon, Georgia, where I met my wife. Uh, and in a couple of weeks, we'll celebrate our 35th wedding anniversary. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Um, and so we now, uh, like you, have grandkids. So we have two daughters who are both grown. One's in Columbus, Georgia. The other one's in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. Her dad, oh. I mean, her husband is a uh, nuclear sub guy wow. so they're stationed out there and so she has three do- uh, three kids and then my daughter in columbus has four so we have seven grandkids wow and what i didn't tell you jeff is that <laughs> um they they're in perfect sequence seven six five four three two and one years old oh, so my it is a perfect staircase um so four boys and then three girls we thought it was just gonna be a whole testosterone fest and then all of a sudden we made a quick shift and headed toward the estrogen so uh we're having fun and yeah i've I've shifted really over the last couple years to really focusing on this uh, idea of the fourth quarter as you mentioned so i'm really really glad to be with you because uh you and i very there's a lot of commonality between what we're trying to do and how and how we're trying to help people it it sounds like it and just educationally, you got your undergrad at Mercer, I think, and you got a PhD from Princeton at some point. From Is Yale. That, I'm sorry, from Yale. I'm sorry. Yeah, yep. that's Yale all right. Would be really upset with me uh, yeah. on that. Prince, Prince, Princeton's a little prettier place, so you know, there's <laughs> there, there's real arguments for that. Yep. They're, yeah, they're all, they're all good. <laughs> yeah, so you you've got an extensive background. Um, some something else I I really like about your bio is it's quite varied. Um, I, I know, I think you, you, you know, after you got out of Mercer, you got into the corporate world and then you made a lot of, uh, shifts and turns here and there. Do you mind kind of walking us through, I even hate to call it a career path. I, uh, I had, a, I had a guest on recently that I, I really call it a journey too, but yeah. can you walk us through a little bit about your various stages that you've, that you've been in uh, career life? Yeah, I, I, uh, uh, actually kind of starting out really I thought I kind of wanted to do some of what similar to what you do either wealth management or e- even maybe investment banking so I was a finance major yeah. um, I love business I got a got a great gig coming out of college much better than I expected to be honest and um, had a great experience with a management consulting firm for several years wow. uh, but really just had this deep sense in my life that um, I, that I wasn't even though I was good at it and enjoyed it that I wasn't going to really f- it wasn't, that's not what I was made for, that there was sort of a, a nagging sense of discontentment inside of me or dissatisfaction in terms of what my life would look like. And so really, you know, there were, I had several different kind of spiritual experiences that we won't um, deviate toward today, but uh, where I, I just really felt a calling from God on my life to leave uh, my expectations for what I thought my life was going to be and my corporate existence to move into full-time ordained ministry. So I did that. And Anita and I uh, served as in the role of Methodist pastor for for twenty years, right. um, and then I shifted from there um, and moved into helping to create a syndicated radio show nationally that was on uh, mainstream stations, not on Christian stations, on right. news talk stations about faith and and lot, real life and faith. Right. And, and through that, really kind of began to move more toward writing and um, speaking and coaching, um, and 
it's funny because, you know, as my colleague, Matthew Kelly, that you mentioned that I co-wrote these last two books with, we, we put out resources every year for churches and individuals and decided to really pick up something around aging and dying because nobody ever talks about that. Hmm. Um, and so we either deny it and we keep saying, you know, 60 is the new 30, um, 80 is the new 20 and, and that kind of stuff. Or we um, try to defy it. Um, and, you know, so we either try to pretend that death doesn't exist or we try to pretend that we can just kind of keep living the, the same kind of life. And as I it really, I guess, as I hit my mid 50s and we started working on this project, I guess, about five, six years ago with the research and stuff, um, I, I realized, yeah, this this is kind of a, this is a significantly different part of my life. It doesn't have to be better or worse. It's different. And so maybe God has something in store for this season of my life that's different than what's been before. And I ought to be open to exploring that rather than just trying to kind of extend out the third quarter of my life. Got you. And so that was really my next question. Um you know, what What kind of got you interested in how did you become known as the fourth quarter guy? But I guess it was this, I guess part of it was your own personal journey. Right. Trying to work through, you know, what does God want me to do next? And, you know, what am I being called to do in this particular season? Uh, but anything else to add to that? I mean, is that is that really what? what no, we were. You? Yeah, you we, we were. I mean, you know, yeah, I, we did. I, yeah, you've gone really deep on the research and uh and again obviously writing a couple additional books in addition to the other books that you had had focused really on this issue of of, of aging and and how do we make this fourth quarter uh meaningful. Yeah, I mean that God um, if the average American lives to be 80 years old and some people get, you know, bonus overtime period but and a lot some people don't. I mean I went to a funeral last week for a very dear friend who was 62 who died of cancer. Mm. So mm. he just barely began the fourth quarter. So, mm. it, but you know, some people get to get a whole extra period, which is great. Um, but the average American lives to be about 80 years old. And so if, if you think about that, that means when you turn 60, um, you're three fourths of the way there uh, doing the math. <laughs> and so, I mean, we, we can say all kinds of things, but that means, you know, three quarters of your life is behind you and a fourth is ahead. So that's what, that's where we kind of came up with this idea of the fourth quarter, because it really does take on a different tone. It doesn't mean necessarily you quit working. Uh, you may work in a different way. You may work less, you may work more, you may shift gears and do something completely different, but it means that you, you see life differently. Um, you have some different priorities in your life. Uh, as you and your bride have discovered with, with grandkids, that changes right. you some, uh, right. that changes your perspective. And so you, it, really nobody pays much attention to that. So we, we really kind of began um, pursuing that. So like you said, we, we wrote the fable, No Regrets, which is about a woman who's turning 60 and, and encountering some of these same kinds of questions that begin to arise about that period. And then put together a workbook, which sounds almost identical to uh, your, your title there. You know, we, we call it the fourth quarter of your life, embracing what matters most. Um, cool. So is what you were saying with money and meaning. Yeah. Um, so it's it's 40 exercises that you don't have to necessarily do them in some certain order, but 40 exercises to help you kind of process and think through where you are, where you've been, uh, what God might have in store for you, dream a little bit about what your fourth quarter could look like. Um, so it, it's really, I, it, this was a project I've been dreading when we started it five or six years ago, because we've been talking about it forever. I was like, ah, man, I don't want about aging and dying. <laughs> But as I got into it, it was really energizing, Jeff. I mean, as, as you tell me, I found it, it ironically, I found it very invigorating. Oh, that's well, that's cool. Well, you, you know, when you're talking about the way we change the way we think as we get to these later seasons of life, right? Uh, I, I experience that all the time with clients as we set goals, and goals are, you know, the goals are are are, are good and bad. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're great for giving you a target and giving you something to pursue and get you out of bed every day. 
And if they're related to your values, they can be really good benchmarks to kind of measure where are you relative to your goals. Again, provided they're consistent with your values. But there's a there's a downside to goals too, because we can become a slave, you know, to, to goals and not live in the live in the present. But what's relevant to me from what you just said is I find our goals change. You know, the things that I thought was going to be important to me is when I forecasted when I was 40 years old, what was going to be important to me when I was 60 was, yeah. was pretty. And now that I'm 60, yeah, things that are important to me are quite different than I thought they yeah. would be when yeah. I was 40. So there's there's a lot there. Let's talk about no regrets for a moment. The, the fable um, and obviously it's research. So you went and did a lot of research about what people in the quote fourth quarter, I guess, regrets of people in the fourth quarter or things they wish they had done, I guess. Can you talk to us a little bit about some of these regrets? I mean, what are some of the things that your research uncovered that we, that we regret that we, that I guess is, the, and, and I guess the, the fable is to encourage us um, to, to address these hopefully sooner than the fourth quarter, but at least to, to live intentionally. So can you share some of that? Yeah, so you know, we the the amount of research we did is um, probably a podcast <laughs> in and of itself. Oh, I'm itself. sure. We, we yeah. read a, a, read almost all the science that we could find. There's an enormous amount of science on aging and geriatrics out there, just to kind of understand that kind of stuff, and then began to study some of the more um, psychological and sociological studies around people's happiness, around their sense of meaning and purpose, and and um, and life uh, as they age and how they see themselves differently. And then it, around regrets in particular, there's there's several good studies out there um, from hospices and from different kinds of settings, uh, uh, to having people kind of talk about that. And then we, then we did some of that on our own as well. Went and sat in some different kinds of settings and just listened and, and took copious notes. Right. And then I, you know, obviously having been a pastor for 20 years, I've got a, a pretty good warehouse of of notes and reflections on some of this just that I kind of chronicled along the way. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, part of it's around regrets, part of it's around our hope, our hopes of having no regrets. And so part of it was focusing on what are some of those regrets, as you mentioned, and how how can what what can I do now to help um, increase the likelihood that I don't have that regret? But secondly, also, what does it what does it look like to live your fourth quarter intentionally? What what are the people that we see who who are thriving and seem to have the greatest sense of purpose and meaning and joy uh, and energy in in that fourth quarter? What are, what are the habits? What are the mindsets? What are the qualities that seem to create that? Is it just a um, is it accidental? Is it is it based personality based? Is, is, and so we really try to take all that. Uh, and, and, and put it together. And so we, you know, we, we talk about some of these regrets and, and you know, I can chat about that in a second. And then also about, so we really distilled it down to, to here's, here's the five keys that we observed uh, oh. in all these people and, and tried to kind of map all that out and, and get it down to something that's digestible um, for, you know, one read um, to, to kind of give you a, here's sort of a basic blueprint or roadmap to, if you're doing these five things, you're probably going to have a pretty good fourth quarter. Um, Obviously, you got to put together the financial planning with with people like you. You've got to put together some physical health kinds of stuff as well. But for the purpose, meaning, energy, and joy and direction, these were sort of the the five keys. Wow. Okay. There's a lot packed into into. Yeah, in, I know. I sorry okay. you you wound me up. And I started well, no, going I through. love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Can we can we talk about a couple of that? Well, let's start with a couple of the regrets. You, okay. I know. So, what are some of the bigger regrets that 
that you think uh, people uh, have reported in this literature and the evidence that people wish they had done differently or um, uh, or, 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 or wish their life didn't turn out? What, what are some of the key themes on the regrets? Uh, do you think? Yeah, there's, um, we kind of, you know, it was some of the content that you saw that I have, you know, on my YouTube channel, it yeah. was sort of the eight, the eight top regrets. Right. Um, and you know, a couple of those really stood out to me. Um, one was the very, the very practical one of, I wish I'd been a better spouse. I wish I had been mm-hmm. a better husband or I wish I'd been a better wife. Right. And that sometimes as we, um, as we age, um, we begin to kind of reflect back on, on, on how we've handled things in our marriage. And also you know, I would hear that a lot, which is, which kind of surprised me when, so, when somebody would die mm. and I would be either at the funeral or leading the funeral, I would hear that a lot as well from the, from the surviving spouses. You know, I wish I, I wish I'd been a better wife to him or I wish I'd better, been a better uh, husband to her. And it kind of goes with, I mean, you and I are both baby boomers or close to it. Right. Um, and, and, and baby boomer divorce rates are, are, are spiking. Uh, I mean, the youngest baby boomers are 59 years old. So you're talking like 59 to 79, 59 to 75, 77 year olds. That the divorce rate in that age demographic now is is skyrocketing. Yeah. So great, this, great, this, yeah, great divorce is real. Yeah, it's, it really is, and it's it's tragic when you think about it. You've poured your life in, in that long, and then all of a sudden you go, you know, now what was your name again? And and do we really have anything in common? And and, mm. and you can't see a future together. Mm. Uh, and I think that's where some of those regrets. Um, come from. Then the one, you know, the uh, two that were particularly powerful for me was one, I, I wish I'd pursued more of my dreams. Mm. You know, kind of a sense of either life didn't allow me to, or I played it too safe. Um, I was risk averse, or um, I got caught up in other kinds of stuff. And so sort of that, that long, that deep spiritual longing that there's some stuff I really would have liked to have tried, whether it was professionally or educationally or mm. um, athletically or what have you. I wish I'd pursued some of that. Uh, and it's, it's sort of, um, I guess, closely related to the one that that I uh, you find surprising, the one that I, I struggle with the most. I wish I I wish I'd really expressed myself more. <laughs> okay. I mean, yeah. I think you know a lot of us we we get along to go go along to get along. You know, and it's like right. um, sometimes we don't we, we're scared of kind of broaching this subject or this is an awkward conversation or an right. uncomfortable conversation, and we go, you know what, it's just it's just not worth it. Um, and so we just sort of bury a lot of that and we get to the end and go, you know, I wish I'd have said, I wish I'd have said some of these things, you know, yeah. and, and some, some of those are, some of those are conflict or, and, and frankly, some of them were just intimacy for, you know, I wish, I really wish I'd told some of the people I love, you know, in that, in that short little video I did on, I wish I'd learned to express myself more. Yeah. Really the simplest things are saying, thank you. I love you. And I'm proud of you. And I, and I'm sorry. Those, those, those if you learn to say those four things, you're, you're probably gonna be in pretty good shape. Yeah, the, these are kind of unrelated to me in a way. Um, I know I saw I saw a speaker 30 years ago talk about um, something similar. Um, but but he said, you know, related to the dreams that I wish I'd pursued my dreams. Oftentimes we don't take enough risk. We don't we don't risk. We don't risk more. We're, we're protecting, you know. Um, but the, when I think about the relationship challenge that you just mentioned about not expressing ourselves, mm-hmm. I think oftentimes that's because we don't risk. We don't risk. We're, we feel that's so- a great. Yeah, that's a great insight, Jeff. And so we're un, we're we're unwilling to put ourselves out there. Uh, I mean, I'm a I mean, I'm a peacemaker on the Enneagram, so I'm the poster child for avoiding conflict. You know. <laughs> So, I would, I would, I would have guessed that. I'd have yeah, guessed so that. that's, yeah. So, yeah. So I'm, I'm that, I'm that guy that sometimes does not take 
relational risk. That's what right. when you talk about not expressing yourself. So I'm those that are, down. that's a great that's a great that's a great observation, man. I'm writing that one down. That's yeah, good. So, well, I, I had I had one idea, a uh, good idea this year. That's good. Yeah, that's why you can retire for the rest of the, the day until 2024. I'm done. I'll put that on <laughs> yeah. the calendar. Yeah. So, uh, well, that well, that's cool. You know, one of the ones that uh, stood out to me because I, I went through some of these on your material, and is worry. You talk a little bit about worry. Oh yeah. Ooh, yeah. In the in the, and I think it's I think for our 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 friends, and and that includes you and I, I guess, in the fourth quarter. You know, oftentimes we're at this point with some measure of worldly success, or at least. Uh, at least fin financial comfort or mm -hmm. reasonable comfort, you know, reasonable comfort. But we worry all the time about things we can't control mm -hmm. and 24-7 media. Mm -hmm. And in my case, you know, I'm always talking about the financial journalism, you know, mm -hmm. the news, the investment news channels, giving you breaking news happens every 30 seconds these days because they're trying to get eyeballs. And so, you you enumerated worry is one. Uh, did did I get that right? Was worry one of the yeah? Reasons? And I wish I'd I wish I hadn't worried so much about things that never happened. Oh, um, okay. You know, we forecast. And, we forecast. Yeah, yeah. Just all the stuff and some of that's you know worrying about whether Joe Biden, Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis is going to be president, whether the the Fed's going to raise the rates. Worrying about that, but some of it's just that, like you said. Uh, I'm I'm worried I'm going to lose everything. I'm worried I'm not going to have enough. I'm worried um, that I'm going to get sick. I'm worried that da 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 da. And so we we create this, um, and and it, and that's part of the the challenge of the fourth quarter is you 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 do tend to get a little more conservative, and you do tend to kind of begin to close down uh, in terms. Yeah. yeah, you do, uh, and you and you protect some relationships. And, and and one of the the five keys that we share is is actually to kind of push back against that, and we call that remaining open to life to explore new things, make new friends, try some new adventures to, to get yourself out of that mode. Because if you allow your world to get smaller, it tends to get more mm. worry filled mm. um, rather than worry free. You think, you think you're doing yourself a favor by simplifying things, but oftentimes you're, you're doing the exact opposite. You, you have less to focus on. And so then you become more uh, obsessive or, or worried about that, about that smaller yeah. box. Yeah. And kind of internal focus instead of yeah. internal mm -hmm. focus in some yep. Yeah, in your in your video, you talked about a couple of antidotes to worry. You mind sharing those? Uh, remind me uh, the antidotes to worry. Help me. Yeah. I, I, well, <laughs> yeah, I, I can't pull my own videos off. Yeah, that's okay. I'm getting, yeah, I'm getting yeah. too old, Jeff. I'm getting well, too old. Well, well, the two things. <laughs> well, the two things that spoke to me were obviously, um, you know, you have to believe that there's a power greater than yourself that's controlling the universe. Yeah. I mean, your your faith yeah. can really be helpful in terms of that because. You know, the, the, there's so much we can't control, and and then the second one was was gratitude. You yeah, know, your antidote. Oh, was I'm gratitude. sorry. Yeah, yeah I, I I misheard you, Jeff. I, I yeah. thought you said antidotes, not antidotes. Oh, I'm and sorry. So I was trying to I was trying to think of no, it's not your fault. I'm sorry. I, my my brain went to there was I must have told a story and I can't remember what it was, but yeah, I, I'm with you now. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. The, the prayer, the prayer and gratitude. Um, that you know, and and you know. Because we're not too far away from ha having celebrated Easter, you know, fasting as a third one, it's just to kind of free yourself from some of that um, concern. It, it helps you to free yourself from some of the material attachments you have. But but that prayer of understanding that really it all belongs to God. Yeah. Um, and then the gratitude of the, the deep sense of gratitude um, that 
I, there, as you said, I got a lot of blessings in my life. And so I can focus on the one negative thing or I can focus on the nine good things. And there's something in our human nature for most of us, not everybody, but that, that wants to immediately veer toward that one negative thing and worry about it and neglect the nine wonderful blessings that my life is filled with and to be gratitude. And it really does change your whole disposition. Yeah. Yeah. So some of these regrets were, you know, again, around, you know, not pursuing my dreams, not being a better you know, spouse or friend or uh, not, uh, you know, not sharing and being more vulnerable. Um, you know, I wish I hadn't worried so much about things that never happened. I mean, there's a whole, the whole series that that are, you know, that, that our audience can check out your book and get, and get more insight as well as some of the, uh, some of the, the keys. Um, why don't we jump into a few of the keys? Do you mind sharing some of the the five sure. keys to living and dying with no regrets? Go. We, I can actually do that off the top of my head. I mean, well, I'm, I'm proud know, to well, say. I, I know you can. This is the one thing I remember about our relationship, Alan. You always remembered everybody's name. I don't know if you had like a photographic memory. I didn't know how you did it. So I knew, I, I assumed you misunderstood me while I go, because you, because you remember everything. I, I've never seen anybody in my yeah, life. I got, that, I got that from my dad. I was really lucky because um, my dad was just, if you meet, if you meet, if you met somebody, he would remember their name. And, and I just inherited that. One of my yeah. daughters will never remember your name. And one of my daughters got, got, got that same old genes. So I got one with a great memory and the other one was like, yeah, I know, I know you, but I can't remember your name. Yeah. What um, a great, what a great. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, so let's talk yeah, a little I mean, bit about the yeah. five keys. Yeah. So I'll just kind of walk you through them fairly quickly, kind of bullet point wise, but number one, and, and, and we put them in an order for, for a reason. The, the first one is to say yes to God. Um, Just let me back up a moment. So these are the five keys to living and dying with no regrets. Correct. Correct. Um, So number one is to say yes to God, because as we observed people, people that had a had a deep what 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 we call a robust faith life, and I mean there's so much science to back this up, and this is this is I mean even though my faith is important to me and yours is to you. This is not actually not a faith statement. This, I mean, you, you can, you can back this up with so much science. The people that have a robust faith life in the fourth quarter have a much more fulfilling, much more positive, much more joyful experience than those who don't um, for all kinds of reasons, but it gives them, it gives them a purpose. It, they know where they're going. They know what they're kind of preparing for. And they have a sense that there's somebody else alongside them on the journey. Right. Uh, number two, and this is the one that's, that was to me was the the most, I don't want to say revolutionary, but the most provocative is to pursue a fourth quarter virtue or Mm. a fourth quarter soul trait. If you think about, say, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If you're Catholic, you think about Catholic virtues. Mm -hmm. uh, You think about faith, hope, love, and you think about patience and humility and those kinds of things. The the, the people that, that that we saw that seemed to have a real energy and a focus to their fourth quarter, they weren't just sort of meandering or uh, floundering. Really had a sense, and and some of, for some of them it was very conscious, and for some of them it was it was just sort of subconscious. And as we pointed out to them, they went, "Yeah, you know, you're right." Is that there was one of those one of those qualities really was sort of the one that they felt like in my fourth quarter life, God's really um, blossoming or flowering that in me. It might be something that uh, I really haven't paid attention to up until now. Uh, it might be something that I've I've done all along, and now I'm doing it in, in a whole different way. But there was a sense of, you know, I'm really pursuing to be a more loving person than I ever have, or I'm pursuing joy in my life in a way that I, or I'm learning how to be patient, or I'm learning about wisdom. Uh, and, and we have some different stories in the in the fable in particular, um, no regrets, that illustrate five or six different people who had very different 
senses of, of what that virtue or what that fruit is. But really, that was what was the driving force of their fourth quarter, and it, gave, it, it made all the difference. Interesting. Um, number three is to give it away. Hmm. And um, I think the average American hears that, and they immediately leap to money and meaning. Hmm. Um, and obviously, financial generosity is a big part of that. But really, the people who seem to have the most energized and joyful fourth quarters tended to be going through not with their hands clenched, clinging onto stuff, but with their hands open, mm. uh, not only giving away uh, of their possessions, which is a huge part of the fourth quarter, but really giving their friendship away, giving mm. themselves away, giving their love away, giving their time away, a, a, a position of generosity right. was just central to their fourth quarter. Um, number four was to forgive often. Mm. Uh, and, and the image that I use there is you don't want to be going into the fourth quarter of your life, pushing this big wheelbarrow full of all these old regrets and grudges and wounds and injuries and resentments, because it's just going to weigh you down and it's, it's going to destroy any kind of sense of hope or of purpose in your fourth quarter. And so to, to learn to be forgiving. And again, it kind of goes with what you were saying a minute ago when I was drawing the blank um, on what you said, the, the antidote to worry oftentimes is, or really, I guess really we were talking more about learning to express yourself that right. being able to say, I forgive you, or being able to say, please forgive me. Yeah. Um, and, and letting go of a lot of that stuff that gives you a, a real liberation for the fourth quarter. Wow. And then the fifth one is one we mentioned a minute ago, remain, excuse me, remain open to life. And that is to kind of resist the urge that we so often saw among people who actually became increasingly miserable as they, as they got smaller and smaller and smaller and did fewer things, tried fewer new things, um, met fewer people. And so to try to force yourself, if it's not your natural disposition, to try some new things doesn't, doesn't mean you have to try to climb Mount Everest, but try, right. try to try some new things. Um, try some new foods, make some new friends, do some different things to keep yourself exploring and open. Uh, and those people were much, much, much more happy and joy filled in the fourth quarter than those than those who didn't. Oh, those are there's a lot of wisdom just in those in those five points. And I'm sure you could. You probably do a podcast on each one of them. Uh, you could you could you know, talk for a long time about each one. Uh, on the one on the virtues, so the idea there is uh, find a virtue like contentment, as an example, or, mm -hmm. or generosity, or love, mm -hmm. or and and the people that were um, one of the five keys was obviously exploring and developing the virtue. Is that? Did I hear that right? Yeah, per, yeah, pursuing that what we call pursuing that fourth quarter virtue, and and gotcha. I'll, I'll give you just a couple of quick examples without giving the whole story. But in in, in the fable, you know, there's uh, a, a woman. Uh, we'll start with a guy who was a hospital administrator who uh, his wife developed Alzheimer's, and he in in retiring from his work to care for her full time, really developed this patience that he never really had in his life. Hmm. And he said, you know, began to see that patience spill out into all the other parts of my life. When I would be in a doctor's waiting room, which people who were 75 and 80 years old spent a lot of time there, mm -hmm. uh, when I was in traffic, when I was in, in the grocery, the, the patients, because it, God had been growing this in me, when I when I recognized that, it really began to bear fruit in every aspect of my life. Right. Um, an, an, right. Another woman who was um, out, I think she was out in California, and she, um, she what was she? She was a nurse, um, and she retired, um, and she was single, <clears throat> excuse me, single. And really gave herself over to the virtue of faith and really almost became a sort in her 60s and 70s, became this missionary and would make these trips back and forth to Cameroon, I think was the country that she would go yeah. to in Africa and, right. and develop these relationships and would take people with her and actually died 
um, in, in Cameroon in, in a car accident I, on like, I don't remember how many trips she made, but that faith um, gave that, that, that emphasis on growing her faith and giving her faith away, that generosity right. of her faith really gave her fourth quarter a whole, a whole, a whole purpose. Um, and then we've, we've got an example of a guy who was a, a think tank leader and a, and a great writer. And, um, and he realized as really, as he hit his late forties and into his fifties that he wasn't, he wasn't as sharp as he had used to be. And so he, he kind of moved out of being the head of the think tank, had, a, had younger, had the young guns take over and became more of a coach and a mentor to share. He said, you know, you get accumulated wisdom at that point. You're not the quick information processor anymore. Right. You're now one who's accrued wisdom over a long, long period of time. And so to share that wisdom in mentoring and coaching. So wisdom kind of became the the virtue for his, uh, for his fourth quarter. So oh, that's, right. that's three or four examples there. Gotcha. Um, yeah, that yeah, makes and then the main woman in the in the in the fable really tries to develop joy. Gotcha. Yeah, I th- th- yeah, that was helpful because that was the one that seemed, you know, I I've been involved in a um sort of training recently uh on how to be a better advisor with, you know, emotional and behavioral coaching. Uh, not a therapist, we're not trained therapists, yeah. but, but sure. at least have deeper conversations to help to help kind of tee clients up with questions to ask themselves to develop. And, you know, all of this that you've described in these five keys is so consistent with the happiness literature. I mean, it's not, this is, this, I don't think there's anything controversial about this. Sure. Um, And it's, it's really consistent with, with some of the secular, um, you know, happiness literature in terms of what, gives life meaning and purpose. And mm-hmm. uh, so this is really, this is really, really cool. And I, you know, I, I love the way that you've taken um, the, 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 the tact on sharing the message between the fable and then, and then you give the workbook. So the, mm-hmm. let me make sure I understand this. So the, the second book is really a book with exercises to do your own work on some of these, how to develop some of these keys. Is that a fair statement? Yeah. Right. The fourth quarter of your life, embracing what matters most, as you were saying, uh, helping people, giving them 40 exercises to begin to look back on their lives, um, to look at the present of their lives and to dream about the future uh, to really figure out what does matter most for me. And so then when they go meet with you, they can say, you know, I've kind of processed through. um, Here's what's really going to matter. It's not just my fourth quarter is not just about the financial well-being and the financial well-being is a part of that. Um, and, And so you know, as my financial advisor, Jeff, here's kind of what I want my life. Here's what's going to be a priority. And so let's balance in uh, my finance, my finances with that. So it's, right. yeah, it's 40, it's 40 exercises. Some are very simple. Some are a little longer and more complex, um, but 40 exercises to help people do that. Gotcha. Well, that's, that's terrific. Well, this has been terrific, Alan. I, I know we we could go a really long time on some of this, but this is a really uh, helpful. I, I, I know our audience will find it very useful. Uh, I know I did. Uh, any final comments you'd like to share um, and 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 why you do that? Let us know how we can find you. How can how can our, our audience find Alan Hunt and your your resources? Well, as you said at the beginning, I am the fourth quarter guy. So it's fourthquarterguy.com uh, okay. spelled out F-O-U-R-T-H fourthquarterguy.com. Um, and really, essentially, my, my closing thought, Jeff, is I mean, I, I kind of see you as a thought leader um, mm-hmm. and as a, a guy who's taking the, the conventional traditional role of the financial planner and the wealth management um, and broadening it out to help people really think about their lives. And, oh, and I never really thought about that before until, until we published these two books. And I started getting calls. I, I've gotten, I don't know, six, eight calls in the last 
month or two from different people like you across the country. When, you know, this helps me begin to help my, help my clients really think about their lives, not just think yeah. about their money. And right. so I applaud you for what exactly what you're doing, um, helping people really dream about their fourth quarter and then letting their money help be a part of that rather than being the focus of that. Cause I think it makes all the difference in the world. Great. So uh, one more time was the fourth quarter guy.com. That is correct. Okay. So check Alan out. You can see uh, all his books and resources there. I'm sure his books are also available on Amazon and all the major online retailers. If you want to uh, find him there as well. Uh, so thank you again, Alan. I really enjoyed this and I'm sure our audience did. And, and, and thank you all for joining us today. Um, if you'd like to learn more about Alan's material, please check him out. Uh, if you'd like to reach out to me, I can be reached at moneyandmeaning at tandemgrowth.com. Uh, and uh, please check out past podcasts at Spotify and iTunes and wherever you get your normal uh, iTunes, uh, your uh, normal podcast uh, listening and give us a rating. And remember to find what makes your heart come alive and go put the plans in place to pursue it. Thanks and have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Money and Meaning Show with Jeff Bernier, a show dedicated to help you gain the confidence and freedom to lead a life of personal significance and help you get your actions and resources in alignment with what matters most. We would love to hear from you. If you have any questions for Jeff or comments on the show, feel free to reach out to us at moneyandmeaning at tandemgrowth.com. Or you can find us on the web at www.tandemgrowth.com. Jeff Bernier is the President and Chief Investment Officer at Tandem Growth Financial Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. This show is a production of Tandem Growth Financial Advisors, LLC. All information discussed is general in nature, is provided for informational purposes only, and should not be construed as specific financial, legal, or tax advice. Listeners should consult an attorney or tax professional regarding their specific legal or tax situation. Listeners should not rely on the content of this podcast as the basis for any investment decisions. A professional advisor should be consulted and or independent due diligence should be conducted before implementing anything discussed in this show. While information presented is believed to be factual and up-to-date, Tandem Growth Financial Advisors, LLC, does not guarantee its accuracy and it should not be regarded as a complete analysis of the subjects discussed. Tandem Growth Financial Advisors, LLC, does not make any representations or warranties as to the accuracy, timeliness, suitability, completeness, or relevance of any information prepared by any unaffiliated third party, such as guests on the podcast, and takes no responsibility for the same.